Okay. So thank you all uh, for coming again. And um, we just want to uh, do a quick recap. In the first uh, couple of weeks, we've, we've looked at the fact that depression is, has some serious causes. It has real causes and it is a real um, problem. It has real symptoms and it has underlying physical um, issues with it as well. Then last week we saw that we, we looked at the topic that we are not alone in our experience. We're not alone in our experience of depression and of, of despair and of deep sorrow. We saw that in some of the heroes of the faith. And we also saw those verses that basically said that in our Christian walk we're not alone in our experiences, that we've got brothers and sisters all around the world who are having similar um, temptations, similar experiences, similar joys in our life, that our, our life isn't completely unique. But this week we're going to uh, focus on the fact that um, God himself is our joy and that he is with us always and that he desires intimacy with us and he provides strength for us. We're also going to consider how faith um, has a crucial role in us enjoying God and enjoying life. So I said last week, I don't know if it was a surprise to you, but I said last week that the depressed people often vacillate between feeling forsaken and knowing the faithfulness of God better, better than anyone. We go through those huge cycles. And there's perhaps no better sense of God's faithfulness than the knowledge of his presence. And even as I was writing that sentence, I was thinking about the importance of the word knowledge. I, I had written feeling. I had written a sense of his presence. But the knowledge of his presence is far greater because it is true and it remains true no matter how we are feeling, no matter what our senses are telling us. And I had some, some metaphors from the flying world, from aeroplanes, about how our feelings just are not trustworthy. We often think that our, our feelings and our senses, often people will say, show me and I'll believe. You know, they, they want to really sense something. But our senses don't always tell us the truth. So there's this whole field of study in pilots and what happens when pilots fly into clouds. They become completely disoriented. Their eyes stop being the major sense and then they start relying on their ears for balance. And there's six different syndromes of downward spirals, rolling the plane over, um, pitching up, pitching down because the pilot simply loses a real knowledge of what is true. And they look at all of these plane accidents and they find in incidences that the pilot has actually overridden autopilot because they cannot believe what the instruments are telling them. So the instruments are saying, you're flat to the horizon, you're at 25,000 feet, and the pilot's going, no. This doesn't feel right. This this is not right, you know. And they actually override 
the the instruments and to the peril of the plane. In the uh, recent uh, Boeing um, a recall of aeroplanes, it's hard to recall planes, isn't it? I guess they can all fly back to base. The, um, they, were, they interviewed a couple of pilots and, and one of them said, um, so we're just talk, thinking about our senses and what our senses are telling us. And he, he said, the plane started fighting against me and my instinct was to grab the stick and take control but my knowledge from my military training said release control and let the plane do it, right? And they had found that in a couple of incidences of crashes that the pilots fought the plane all the way because it was their instinct to try to take control. The the plane wasn't doing what it was meant to do. But this one man said, I had less than one second to make that decision before something imperiled the plane. (coughs) So our senses are not an accurate guide to how things are going. And sometimes our knowledge directly contradicts what our senses say. I don't always feel like God is close by. Anyone say amen to that? God's word says he dwells within me He is always near. My senses are right or God's word is wrong. You choose. I'd rather go with the manufacturer's instructions, right? I'd rather go with with God's word. I know my uh, senses don't always lead me in the right direction. This is particularly important if you're struggling with mental health issues and depression and anxiety our feelings are in hyperdrive we're hypersensitive we're hyper attuned to everything that's going on and how I'm affected by everything and and we're looking and you know we're being hyper vigilant sometimes and it's important that we restore some balance you know, those psalms that are full of the Selah moments, it's important that we just go, <sighs> we just re- relax and, and bring some balance into our thinking. Now, the survey uh, revealed, uh, which you'll remember was the underpinning of, of the course, which was about 60-odd people who had depression, Christians who had depression at some point in their life, and then about 60 people who didn't have depression but knew people and cared for people who did. So there's a group of about 120. But the, the group of people who um, had experienced depression um, gave the greatest sense of their strength in life came from knowing that God was with them. And I, did, I found on one hand that that's just extremely ironic, right? In a world where, where they say that God doesn't exist and Christians are reporting, Christians with depression are reporting the greatest strength and, and hope is the fact that God is with them. They know that. On one hand, I think that's ironic. On the other hand, I think, well, it's not because it's exactly what God has promised us, that he would be with us always. So it's no surprise. And I've got to convince myself and I've got to keep speaking to myself to stop being surprised when God just does what he says he's going to do. 
I still find it surprising, of course. His, his mercy to me surprises me every day. So we're going to just look very quickly at, at three fundamentals of our Christian walk. The first is that we are indwelt by God himself. This is really important. It's a really important principle to the Christian. The spirit of Jesus is within us. So you'll remember in Acts 2 that uh, Peter was addressing the crowd and he says, this is exactly what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and the bit I really love, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, that's us, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. So it's a fundamental understanding that God's spirit has been poured out into our lives. Jesus lives within us. Okay. Thankfully, absolutely, and it's his seal, right? It's 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 the it's our guarantee that he has started a work and he will bring it to completion. The seal of the spirit. So that's the first fundamental. He lives within us. Now Romans eight nine to ten. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. That's Christ's righteousness, of course. So, he lives in us. Now, we understand that God also knows our needs and calls us into relationship with him. So, this is another fundamental. So, he lives within us, and I'm not necessarily going in the order of salvation, but he calls us into relationship. He desires to be in relationship with us. And you'll recognize instantly the Matthew 11 verse there that Jesus beckons us who are labored and heavy laden because he will give us rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the scripture is too numerous in its accounts of God's desire to be in fellowship with us. From the beginning to the end. The Garden of Eden. What was it about? We could walk with God. We could be in fellowship with him always. So, it's it's the reason, really, for our creation. That, that we can enjoy him and give him glory. Now... Do we realise, though, that a a primary function of Jesus' coming is to be with and to heal the brokenhearted? Now, this is really important for us if we're struggling with depression, right? His ministry, and we'll look at two verses coming up, but his ministry is to heal the brokenhearted. That's me. I wish I knew this 20 years ago. So, you know. Anyway, we've got to be kind to ourselves, right? So we know that God is near the brokenhearted. So Psalm 34, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
Now, in Christ, we are all made righteous. So he is near to us. He knows our afflictions and he delivers us out of our afflictions. But the promise there is he is near to those who have a broken heart. So when you feel like you're breaking, when you feel like you're despairing and you're, and you're overwhelmed, know he is near. Now Jesus quoted um, from Isaiah, Luke fourteen eighteen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So a fundamental reason why Jesus came was to heal the brokenhearted. So I don't know about you, but I find that very comforting, that my problem, one of my many problems, but one of my problems, he came directly to fix as part of his main ministry for coming. Really important. So we are never apart from God. As Christians, we are never apart from God, and we would do well just to to have a Selah moment and pause and think about that. Whether we are good or bad, whether we are meditating on God's word daily or not, we make lots of rules for ourselves as Christians, the things that we should do. But whether we're doing those things or not, whether we feel that God is near or far, doesn't matter who we're with or what we're doing, God dwells with us. He is right there with us. Really important. So, on a side note there, we as Christians sometimes slowly change fundamental truths just in our language, and then our language, we don't notice what we've done. So, we will find ourselves praying, for example, that God would be here. He's here. He's promised it. We don't need to pray for that. In the same way that as Christians, we don't need to pray that he will forgive us because he already has. We thank him for his forgiveness. We're contrite. We repent, of course. But we don't need to be begging for his forgiveness. He's glad to give it. He's gladly given it already. These things just creep into our language where we, we beckon God to do the things he's already done. And as a depressed person, or as a person I see, I notice that I have times where I feel depressed. In those times, I'll often believe that God is a long way away. And I'll say, God, please, you know, come to me, you know. And they're not truths that I'm affirming with my own mouth. He's already present. He's already (coughs) indwelling me by his spirit. So it's really important. So let's look further at what it means for God to be with us. Isaiah 41, 9 to 10. Would somebody like to read that? You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. 
I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Thanks, Adam. One of the things I love about God's word is that it just speaks truth and we don't often have to dig very deep to get some really great fundamental principles. Let's look at some some of the simple things in those two verses. God says, I am with you. Now, I am with you, therefore, what does he say? Fear not. I am your God, therefore, do not be distressed or dismayed. He says, I am with you and I will strengthen you, help you and uphold you with righteousness. All of these things come about because he is with us. They're just gold nuggets lying on the ground. We don't have to go digging. We don't have to read commentaries. They're just there. And I, I find it a great practice just to read a passage and tell myself what it says. Put it in my own words. Just look, say it in a different order. Um, just translate it into something meaningful and you get these incredible things. I am with you, therefore fear not. I am your God, therefore do not be distressed. I am with you and I will strengthen you, help you and uphold you with righteousness. That's the reason why we don't need to be distressed. Because he is with us, he will strengthen us and help us. He will uphold us with righteousness. Okay, let's move on to Psalm 23. Until recently, and I don't know if they still do it or not, but the American military used to recite this psalm. They used to memorise this psalm as part of their training. They would memorise this psalm. I mean, it's an incredible thing, and it's no surprise when we read it. We know Psalm 23, and it's just full of gold for us. So if someone would like to read Psalm 23 for us. The Lord, the shepherd of his people, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down with green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your rod and your stuff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay. So in verse 4, we read, For you are with me, and of course the, the image is of the shepherd with his sheep. But let's just dissect it quickly, and I want you guys to yell it out to me. But there's ten things that the sheep has, that David has, that we have, because 
Jesus is our shepherd because he is with us. So those ten things, what will what are they? Green pastures. Green pastures. So provision, isn't it? It's a Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the exact words is fine. I'll Yeah. Yep, exactly right. So peace and provision. Restoration. Right, an incredibly important principle for us, isn't it? Whether it's a tough week, a tough day, a, a tough year, tough decade, we get to the end and we need to be restored. And he's doing it. He will do it. What else will the shepherd do? He will guide us, yes. Comfort. He comforts us with his loving discipline. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? It's a comfort knowing, you know, you have that image of the, of the rod and the staff, you know, just prodding the sheep in the right direction. And it's a comfort. The sheep actually knows they're in the right spot. They're going in the right direction because they're being prodded and, and helped. He gives us joy. He gives us joy. Indeed. What else does he do for us? What does it mean that he prepares a table in the presence of his enemies? He protects us. That's right. You anoint my head with oil. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Exactly right. I see you guys are going to find more than ten things. It's going to put me to shame. Okay. A couple more things. What about I will fear no evil? Yep. He gives us courage. Courage. Yep. Where are we going to dwell? In his kingdom, in the house of the Lord forever. And he will also, what is? what about mercy in verse 6? It's a promise of God's mercy, isn't it? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. As, as fast as we need mercy, he's there to give it to us. So, so this is just an incredibly rich psalm, isn't it? In, in six verses, we get God's assurance of peace, restoration, of leadership, of taking away our fear, of protecting us, of comforting us, of blessing us abundantly, of the Holy Spirit, of his mercy and goodness towards us, and finally of our dwelling place in his kingdom now, we're already we're already eternal beings, right? We're in this world but we're not of it. Our eternal life has already begun. We've already done our dying. Our death's happened. My funeral's gonna be a celebration. Th- that could go both ways, right? Both because <laughs> you've all gotten rid of me and also because it's a great day to to really finally go into the to the uninterrupted um, fellowship with God. So our, our dwelling place, the house of the Lord forever, is very encouraging to us.
remember that psalm. I, I encourage you to memorize it if you don't know it by heart already. So rich. If the American military want to focus on it, you and I, you and I should. Okay, let's go to Joshua 1.9. What else does it mean if God is with us? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So let's break that down again. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Therefore, therefore what? Be strong and of good courage. Therefore, do not be afraid. Exactly right. And if God is with us, the third thing, do not be dismayed or distressed. Okay, now, there's a question for me often when I read scripture about whether or not I'm reading commands, whether or not I'm reading exhortations. I must admit, after years of being a Christian, I read a lot more things as exhortations rather than rules and commands because I've found that God just works that way. He's gracious to me and he's not filling my life up. He's not saying, be gone with the Old Testament law and take on a new one, a new set of rules and uh, to live by. Um, but I actually read this more as being a fact. <laughs> Neither a command or an exhortation, but a fact. So I don't know if you've had the experience. Um, maybe guys get in these experiences a bit more. Uh, kids have it often with their father or with their... With, you often think about it, that the kids in the surf, for example... When the waves are beating down and often a young, a young child will, will swim into their father's arms or just stay there and, and feel safe. Well, you might not be feeling safe going up and down with the waves, um, but the, the child feels really safe in, in your arms. I remember once at school I had some kids come to, um, come to give me a hiding one day and I had a, uh, a friend who was six foot and very well built and... He just stood by my side and said, you're not going to touch him. And I was comforted. <laughs> you know, I received comfort. Now, God is a lot stronger than my six-foot friend. He doesn't need to spend time in the gym, right? He controls everything. He controls our very being. And when he's with us, we do not need to be afraid of anything because he is with us. So we're going to, we're going to look. Now, Joshua's life was not a walk in the park, right? He had just received responsibility for the nation of Israel. He had just been uh, given the command of the people taking over from Moses, the man who spoke to God face to face. Now, you and I might find it difficult to move into somebody else's job and to fill somebody else's shoes, but filling the shoes of a man who spoke to God face to face is a big gig, right? He's, the pressure upon Joshua must have been awesome. Now, don't forget, he also, he and Caleb were the only adults that left Egypt 
and went into the promised land. He and Caleb were the only two that were faithful out of all the spies that went into the promised land to check it out. And when the other ten spies came back and said, we can't do it, Joshua and Caleb said, we can. And the next thing that happens is the people are trying and thinking about stoning Joshua and Caleb because they were saying we can. God said in Numbers 13.1, I give this land to you. And then the spies come back and say, we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb says, let's go and possess the land. And they say no. So Joshua is then fearing for his life, for being righteous, for believing what God would have his people do. He then faced an uncrossable river, right? Um, So later on, when they were given permission to go into the land again, an uncrossable river and then a fortified city, which was impossible to take, um, full of God's enemies. And in a little while, Joshua, as a trained warrior, as a fighter, is going to be walking in circles around Jericho. Now, what do you think Joshua's senses were saying? His senses would have been saying, it's impossible. The river, the walls, the enemy, the mighty enemy... And God says, I want you to go and walk around Jericho. And his senses would have been saying, that is insane. But I love you, Lord. You've been faithful and I will do it. You've told me just now, be strong and courageous. So I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to do it. And the walls came tumbling down. Incredible. So... I was reminded, so the, the, the purpose of this passage is to be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. In one of the sermons uh, from the discipleship course, there was this lovely little conversation between a young man who was going off the war and he went to his frail and elderly grandfather And as they were talking, he said, Grandfather, would you pray for me that I would have the courage to die? He was going off the wall. And the grandfather said, I'll pray that for you, but would you pray for me that I will have the courage to live? And sometimes it takes more courage to live than to die. And so we've got to tap into this and know that this is for us. God gives us the cause for courage. He is right here with you, with me. That's the cause for our courage. I was also reminded this week that the um, the fight or flight tendency in our in our flesh. Uh, there's a there's a third one, and that is freeze. And, um, and the, the thing on the radio was saying that particularly people who have had childhood trauma are subject to freezing. And, and I know what it is to be paralysed by, I can't make a single decision. 
if this, then that. If, if I do that, then this. And I can't work it out. And as you explain it to someone, you watch their face glaze over because they're thinking, hang on, just do anything. Just take a positive decision and go. But the freezing nature comes in where you just cannot make sense of it, so you just don't do anything. You, you freeze. And so this idea of strength and courage comes in. Now, I realize that this is a trust exercise, right? Joshua had a choice, and we have a choice. Do I trust or do I not? So Joshua could have said, that's an insane plan, Lord, walking around Jericho. I've got a million people here who are pumped and ready to go. We've been training for this. Let's go and give it a red-hot shot. And guess what would have happened? They would have been badly damaged and probably spent more time in the wilderness <laughs> and given another, given another go. Now, the nature of God being with us is a very interesting thing. We often don't know it, we don't feel it, we don't sense it. But I was reminded of it a few years ago. We were, we were at our Christmas holiday um, up at Hawk's Nest, as we often are. And I woke up one morning, and I'm a little bit sombre when I wake up in the morning. And I hadn't yet had my first cup of coffee, which makes me even more sombre. And I was going about making my coffee, and the, the, the day has not yet started to filter into my being, right? I'm, I'm, I've just got one focus, and that is to get my coffee. And, and I'm going about this, and then I become aware of this shouting and screaming going on. And then I become aware that there's people lined up along the fence looking at the cause, at the shouting and the screaming. And about 100 metres away was a couple having a full-on violent um, exchange. So they're in the car park just outside the caravan park. And they are absolutely drug-induced violence, right? And I look out and I see people lined up on the neighbouring um, units. They're on their, on their balconies looking down and people are lined up along the fence line looking out. And I just had this thought, and sorry, and to the thing further, not only is there this couple, but there is a baby in the man's arms and a teenager in the middle of them. And the father is trying to take the baby away and they are cursing and shouting at the tops of their voices. Then there's the sound of breaking glass. They've got a caravan there, so I can't see everything that's going on. But in the course of about 10 seconds, I have thought, I haven't had my coffee. I wasn't thinking about my coffee anymore. I was looking at everyone looking, and I thought, 
we are all going to wake up tomorrow to the sound of a murder in the newspapers. And I started walking towards him. <laughs> so my, my sister-in-law says to me, Chris, don't get involved. And, and I barked back at her, if you're worried, call the police. I think about a thousand people were calling the police. As I walked out of the caravan park, I became vaguely aware that one man had fallen in behind me. But all I could think was to pray, Jesus, go before me. Jesus, go before me. The man with the baby, as I got 30 metres away, walked towards a grass bank and just sat down calmly. And I just walked up and I sat down next to him. And we just started talking. Then the guy behind me arrived, listened for a bit, said, come on, mate, let's go and get a cup of tea. He took the guy away left the baby there with the teenager right? the teenage girl who's going to spend a life in therapy um, you know right there and I was just absolutely dumbfounded the, the whole scene the, the lady continued to be irate she was just drug addled she was just off her face and, but the man was just completely pacified in that moment. And, uh, you know, an hour later the police turned up and took him away and, you know, it was all just a, a, common, a common story. But I just, it's been one of the most profound examples in my life of Jesus just being right there. And I don't think it was any coincidence that he was most evident when I was most out of my depth. When I most needed him, he was most evident. So often sitting in our rooms and praying that God would be present and that we would feel him and all of that. I think like Joshua, uh, go out and walk around a wall by faith. You know, see what God wants you to be doing with your life and Take the step, even if it seems insane, with wisdom and discernment. But listen to him and be, be obedient. Now, I can't say that I did it for any good reasons, right? I, there was a moment when I reflected on that. I thought, uh, would I just do that because I didn't want that on my conscience or because I didn't want to think, well, I didn't do anything? It doesn't matter. You know, in the in the sense that the that young baby was safe, yeah, and comforted, and and I to this day believe that Jesus did that. So, God is present, whether we feel like it or not. He is right there with us, and we can be emboldened by that. The things that make us fearful. Now, the whole story of of the promised land 
when I studied Hebrews, I uh, I was very I was very surprised because in my group of friends, I had always grown up thinking that the promised land was a picture of heaven. It's not. The promised land is a picture of the Christian life. Okay, heaven isn't full of enemies. <laughs> heaven doesn't require us to go and possess it, and uh, you know, and, and and battle with enemies. It's a picture of the promised life that we enter into by faith. Now we know that because we know the image of the children of Israel, the children of God, leaving Egypt and going through the Red Sea. That is the picture of death to life. Right? That's the moment that we have in the metaphor where they are facing the army on one side and the water on the other side, nowhere to go, and God miraculously opens the water and they go through. That is the picture of being born again. Okay, so we get a couple of pictures. The the Passover is another one. But... The people are delivered through that and then they end, they go into the wilderness. And of course, the wilderness can be a short period or it can be a long period. The Israelites chose it to be a long one. And it just reminded me for, for us as Christians that we will receive lots of discouragement to trust in God. Sometimes we even receive it from our brothers and sisters. These 12 spies went out. Only two of those spies came back with a godly report. Ten trusted their flesh. Two trusted God. So sometimes we will be discouraged in trusting God. A cousin of mine years ago decided to put on sackcloth and ashes and go and sit outside of Kurong. Of course, my my family was a little bit embarrassed. I just blessed him. If God's leading you to do it, do it. This world's going mad. Right? And if God needs to do crazy things to reach one person, he will. You know, if one person going into Kurong that day has their life, like something like, look at the passion of these guys. Anything. God will do that to interrupt us, to get our attention. Follow the spirit. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We'll have lots of reasons not to, but God is with us and he'll enable us to do it. So we're going to go uh, to the Hebrews 3 3 passage. If someone would like to read that for us, Uh, Hebrews 3, 7 to 4, 3. Now, it's a bit of a long passage. Okay, but it's worth reading because this is for us. This really is for us. It, this is talking about God's people, Christians, receiving rest. Okay, so we need rest, we need peace. And so this passage is right talking to us. So if someone would like to read that for us, Hebrews 3 7 2 4 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, 
where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. Thank you, Paul. Okay, so I want to pick up on a couple of things. So we're being exhorted to belief, to believing in what God says, with that image of the promised land. So they're there up against the promised land. They're it's on the other side, but it's looking tough to take. And God is saying, believe and enter in. I've given it to you. Enter into the rest. Enter into the promised land. But the people didn't believe. In, in a sense, that was their only sin. They just didn't believe God. Now, it led to disobedience of, of further kinds a hardness of heart towards Joshua and Caleb, for example. But we have belief and we have unbelief. And in verse 13, the importance of this for the, for the church, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort each other daily. Now, it, it just intrigued me only last night. What is... I wonder how many things in Scripture are actually asked to do daily. Um, now we get some we get some uh, some good practices that are given, like David meditates on the Psalms, uh, de- meditates on God's Word daily. But the things that are commanded to us to do daily, well, sacrifices was one of them. Uh, There are exhortations to praise daily, prayer, petitions. So we're going to get to all of these things in further weeks. But to give to God what he deserves in our praise and our worship, 
to ask him for what we need in our for our petitions. Give us this day our daily bread. It only occurred to me, of course, that that means I should ask daily. Give us this day our daily bread. We are um, exhorted to listen to God daily, to seek him daily. We're exhorted to pick up our cross daily. And we see um, in the Bereans that they were commended for searching the scriptures daily. But there's not very many commands of what we should do daily in all of scripture. But here we are exhorted to exhort each other daily towards belief towards trusting in God's word, trusting what God has said. So it's really important for us. So I said in the first week that we were going to tackle the question of whether or not depression is caused by a lack of faith. Now, before we go into that question, I want to tackle a couple of things behind it. First of all, what's wrong with being told that you have a lack of faith? To me, that's being like told the sky is blue and the grass is green. Of course I've got a lack of faith. Of course. I'm a dull, stupid, idiotic person. Right? It's just, why would I react to being told I have a lack of faith? It's obvious. Okay, so don't get defensive about it. Okay, I wasn't made perfect the day I became a Christian. You guys might have been. I didn't know my Lord before I became a Christian. I didn't know that he was perfectly trustworthy. I didn't know that he was going to be faithful to me every day, day in, day out. I didn't know his character. It's taken me 35 years to get to the point of trusting him for things that I would never have trusted him for 35 years ago. That's because faith has increased by learning life's lessons. If we think about Psalm 23 for a second, how did I learn that God would provide for me? By losing my job three times. That's how I learned. How did I learn about his mercy? (coughs) By stuffing up and sinning and him not rejecting me. Right, so he's... My faith is growing. Our faith is growing. We are learning that God is, is who he says he is. And in lots of cases, we're only learning what he says he is now for the first time. Now, I might, we might all have read scripture through. We might have read it through numerous times. That doesn't mean we remember it. It doesn't mean we noticed every word. We took it all on board. Um, you know... So, me being told I, I lack faith is, is a meaningless statement to me. It's stating the bleeding obvious. Now, we know, and, and, you, and to comfort you guys, we, we sin, right? I, I, was, I surprised myself a few years ago, like we, uh, a couple of years ago now, I, much to my shame, I'm telling you this, um, so that you'll you'll know that God is good. But I had a moment a couple of years ago when I was coming off my medication, where my 
my body was stuffing up, I was having cramps, I was having headaches, I was dizzy for six months, I, I was having fits of anger, which I'd never have. I'm just... Uh, I keep my anger well hidden, right? It's a... Um, brothers will, uh, will appreciate that, right? I, I bury my anger down deep. But what's in the heart comes out, right? And I had a moment at, um, at a certain young lady's netball game. I was just completely... I was offended and I was angry and, and, um, and I, I was there watching the game and I found myself swearing out loud... And I was instantly just horrified. I was disgusted. I was completely disgraced. And God was eager to forgive me for it. Right? He forgave me for it long before I forgave myself for it. Right? His restoration began immediately. But I was just, I was, I was sideswiped by that coming out of my mouth. It, it gave me new insight into what is in the heart of man comes out of the mouth. Right? And it did. We are sinners. Now, how do we learn about God's grace? Because we need it. And he's keen to give it. So we get these insights and our faith grows. Now, the author of Hebrews tell us, tells us about the deceitfulness of sin. Now, this is what stops us from believing and causes us to unbelief, the deceitfulness of sin. So we can't let our pride try to dull the sword of the Spirit. We will try to defend ourselves even against God, right? Because he offends our flesh. And... And God wants us to change, and he shows us what's good in his word, and we're not always up for it. Even if our spirit is willing, our flesh isn't. So, let's not let our pride stop God's word doing its work in us. Let's recognise pride for being pride. That having been said, if someone says to you you have lack of faith or if you find yourself saying it to somebody else, just consider what the motivation is because more often than not it's demonstrating a lack of compassion. And when it comes to depression, it's certainly demonstrating a lack of understanding of the complexities of depression, that it's not an easy fix. It misunderstands lots of things. It's not a particularly wise approach to take to someone to tell them they have a lack of faith. I just want to bring you three verses. Are they on the screen? From Proverbs? Oh, oh fantastic. Geez, someone was thorough when they came up with this stuff, weren't they? So, Hebrews 16. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. This is good counsel for us. If you're going to have a tough conversation with someone, let the truth be the offensive part, not our manner, not the way we express it. Proverbs, it, 
Did I say Hebrews? Okay, sorry. Proverbs. You can see it on the screen. Good. Um, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. That doesn't mean we always have to say really lovely things to each other, but it means that they're carefully put. Proverbs 9, 8. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. If we consider ourselves wise, and that's probably not a great thing to consider ourselves but we want to be wise therefore we won't resent someone who carefully and lovingly rebukes us we'll receive it proverbs 27 5 open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed see sometimes we really are gentle with each other and too gentle we're gentle with each other to the point where where you guys might be watching me say things, do things that just aren't right and you choose to be gentle rather than say, Chris, maybe, you know. I did notice, right? So it's not an encouragement to go up and start pointing out each other's sins. (laughs) Uh, We don't need that. The Holy Spirit is glad to have that job. Thank you very much. We don't need to be each other's consciences. But... The rebuke of a friend is a good thing. So for me, the question about faith, Chris, you don't have enough faith. The question for me is that that statement isn't specific enough. If you want to tell me I lack faith, tell me what I should be believing that I'm not. Because the other is just too broad for me. I I just don't get it. Okay, so fine. Okay, the sky's blue, the grass is green, and I lack faith. Good oh, Not helpful. But what is it that you are seeing in me right now that I'm not doing? I'm not thinking. My thinking is wrong. So it might be that you say, Chris, I hear from what you're saying that you're full of anxiety. Now, you know the verses that say that God is with you. And you can trust in God. Trust in him. Then if I'm going to be offended, I'm going to be offended by God's word and not by the person saying it. Chris, you're panicking because you've lost your job. God is good. He says he'll provide for you. Trust in him. Relax. Give it over to him. Then... My offence is by God. And my prayer becomes, God, I need you to be the God you've said you are. You said you'll provide for me. I need you to provide for me. So what we can do for each other is to encourage each other in the word. Encourage each other to, to believe what the scripture says. Not with these broad brush statements that lack understanding and and lack compassion. Be compassionate and encourage each other because they're exhortations. And, you know, you might find yourself, your blood pressure rising a bit. I never, I don't enjoy being rebuked or reminded, right, of what I should be believing. That's not a fun thing. But it's hard to think negatively of the person giving it to you if all they're doing is saying the scripture 
and it comes home pretty fast, right? You, you know you're feeling anxious. You know you're feeling panicked. So the reminder that God is good and that he is with you is really important. So I said in the first week that one of the elephants in the room, there was a very good far side comic on the on the um, on Facebook yesterday about the elephant in the room hiding behind the couch. Anyway, um, I said one of the elephants in the room for Christians is whether or not it's caused by a lack of faith. Now, of course, this isn't a question the world faces. No one in the world faces the question, is depression caused by me not believing, you know? Um, and the answer to that is definitely the duration of our depression is affected by whether we believe and whether or not we trust in what God has said, what we think about, whether we give up things to him or not. So the duration, the things that we repeat to ourselves are definitely affected by our faith. So, now when I come home from work and I've had a stressful day, there's a few things I can do with that stress, right? I can stop by the bottle shop on the way home. Or I can go about prayer. Or I can enjoy the fellowship of my family. Or I could ring a friend. Or I could um, listen to some good music. You know, I do have some choices, right, about what I do to deal with my anxiety. And those moments matter. They just, amongst other things, they matter just for the, the momentum that we gather. And some of the saddest periods of my life have been when I know the momentum is all going bad. I know the way I'm feeling and I, and I don't feel like I'm going to be able to arrest it. That's normally when I go back to the doctor. Um, but, you know, when I just kind of go, all the momentum's bad. And I think it's going to keep being bad. So, but we have some choices to make. Will I trust? Will I reflect on the truth? What will I focus on? And... And uh, keeping in mind, we've just seen the verses in Hebrews that rest is intrinsically related to our faith to receive it and to enter in. So faith in what? So this is the question, the big thing, lacking faith, what should we trust in? Well, all those things in Psalm 23 that we just went, 10 things that God says you can have from me, you can receive from me, you can walk in by trusting in me. Now it feels really frustrating sometimes that God's blessings in some ways are like a bank account in our name. There's just this massive bank account with all these blessings in it but we've got to go and make the withdrawal. We've got to receive it. We've got to ask for it but we've got to receive it by faith. It's all there 
but we need to receive it by faith. And this is why the, the exhortation over and over and over again in the New Testament is to believe, to believe, to believe, to believe. And for years I thought that was about believing in what Jesus did for me on the cross. And all of my whole Christian focus was about the cross. Good place to start, really good place to start. But we've got to live and there are promises aplenty for us about what God will have us do and how he'll have us walk and what we can trust in him for. We're to believe in him for so much more than our salvation. And thankfully, we're going to live lives where we can learn about those promises and enjoy those promises from God as we go through the course of our life. Now, as we live with depression, I just do you realize that God is not a reluctant passenger on your depression bus? Right? He's not a, a, a passenger that wants to get off. Okay? That, you know, he, he's reluctantly walking this journey with us. You know, he's not. That beautiful verse in Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Do you know that God cannot contain his love for you? He cannot contain his joy over you. He rejoices over you with singing. I find this verse a bit funny because it says, his love will quiet us. When I think about God rejoicing over me with singing, I feel like dancing, and I don't dance. Right, so I have danced once in the last 35 years, and it was fairly recent, so something's going on in my life, right? So... God cannot contain his joy over you. He's not a reluctant member of your of your fellowship. You know, he's not just going, oh geez, another day spent with the depressed guy. <laughs> right. He is just <coughs> joyous over us. Over you as an individual. Joyous over you. Now, the only thing that can explain that is his abundant, incredible, thrilling love for us just because he does, just because it's his character to love us that way. No other reason, right? What he's done in Jesus is the demonstration of his love. It's the the way he's made us pure and right and, and perfect in his sight. But he just loves us so much. He loves you so much. Just know it and think about it. And if you're thinking about him being so enraptured and in love with you, that would, if that doesn't bring you joy, it will. even if you're depressed, it will make the side of your mouth just go up a little bit, right? Okay, you will find yourself accidentally happy. Okay? Right? Because... It just will. So let's let's move towards the close with with Psalm sixty three. 
Uh, no, we're not. We're going to go straight to Psalm 5, 11 to 12. Okay. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favour you will surround him as with a shield. Okay, so trusting in the Lord, we see in that passage, trusting in the Lord is the key ingredient to rejoicing. Trusting in God is the key ingredient to us rejoicing. Loving God is the key ingredient to joy. Okay? Incredibly important. Trust leads to rejoicing, loving God. Now, if God is trustworthy, we love him, right? This is one of the things we learn about God. We find that he is constantly trustworthy. We can trust in him, and that gives us rejoicing, great cause for rejoicing. And then we love him because of his loving kindness to us. We respond, we can't help it, with love towards him. And that brings us joy. Now, in Nehemiah 8.10... And he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we see there that joy in the Lord is the key to strength. So let's just look at the progression there. We have trust in God that leads to rejoicing. Loving God leads to joy. Joy in God leads to strength. Leads to God's strength. To go back to Joshua, what was his strength? His strength was in trusting God. His strength, he didn't pick up his spear, right? So we've got to get this out of our mind. He didn't go for the weapons, because we want, that's the kind of strength we want, right? When we go, God, make me strong, we, we want power in our lives. Joshua's power in his life was trusting in God and being obedient. Okay, and what is going to do that for us? Joy in the Lord is our strength. Now, Nehemiah had to say, do not sorrow, but rather have joy. Why? Why does God say these things? Because we need to be told. That's the the reason. We forget. We forget these things. I find myself often thinking I, I should have kept the diary all the years of my life. I should have written down all the good stuff because when when your mind turns dark, all you can see is the dark. And God might have been unbelievably faithful to you yesterday. So I don't, I don't know about you guys. I forget really fast. Maybe that's just part of being depressed as well. A <laughs> short-term memory loss. But... I've got long-term memory loss too. God shows incredible faithfulness to us. He comes through, he rescues, and then a little while later, I'm feeling overwhelmed again, and all I can think of is, woe is me. And 
we need to focus on God's constant mercy to us and his constant grace to us. And it's been very direct at times in our life, right? We know that. He has been good to us. We know that in our experience and we we do well to remind ourselves of, of those times. So just in closing, hopefully we've seen tonight, we've been reminded that the fact that God dwells in us so he's never, ever far away. We are perpetually that's the right word. We are perpetually in God's presence. We looked at the promises of God to the brokenhearted and how we can receive those promises by exercising our faith. By faith we receive these things. And finally we saw how the cry of our heart, it was in Psalm 63, which we didn't actually read, for both strength and joy is found in God himself. Joy in him. Trust in him. So these are really beautiful passages, right? And what are we going to look at next week? We're going to look at how God provides help for us, for the brokenhearted, for the distressed, how he provides help for us both directly by the Holy Spirit and how he provides it through his body, the church. That's our study for next week. So thanks, everyone. So let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for being present with us. We thank you for going through all the seasons of our life with us, for the times when we have been faithless, you've just been completely faithful to us. We thank you for Jesus, for the constant reminder, even as we we eat at night and we, we, we partake of the blessings that you give us, may we always remember his, his sacrifice for us, his broken body and his spilt blood that restores us into fellowship with you, that gives us new life. We thank you, Lord, that we are risen together with him. We thank you that you indwell us, that you are never far away. We thank you for your amazing love for us. And Lord, as we go through this week, would you bring to our mind the constant knowledge that you are with us and uh, and of your amazing love for us. Help us to trust you, Lord. Give us faith. As the man said with regards to his son, I, I, I do have faith, but give me more faith. Help me to believe. Lord, we cry out with him that we would also believe in your promises to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.